Greetings, Retreat Church. You know, one of the things that we tend to forget sometimes is that we are saved by grace. And it's not that we intellectually forget that, or if someone was to come and ask you and I as Christian people how we're saved, I think that we would all at that point recall that we are indeed saved by grace. Each and every one of us that are walking with Christ understand that um, we did not earn our salvation, that there's nothing we did to qualify um, to make God love us anymore than He already did. There's nothing that He came and said, you know, when you get to a certain level or you have a certain um, understanding or, you know, all of these kind of things. There was no qualifier. It was, it was simply God pouring His grace into His heart and calling us into a relationship with Him. And as we accepted Him as Lord and Savior by that grace, and we trusted Him and we put our faith in Him, then He started to teach us. Then we started to mature. Then we started to grow. And then our understanding became more clear. There was not a grace and aspect to our salvation. And as we get going along with Christ, and then you and I, as Christians, we start to live in community together, and we start to um, discuss things that we believe are right and wrong and necessary, things that we believe are important, as we just do life together. And one of the major things that we do in life here in America is that we participate in a political system. We participate in civil, our civil duties. Uh, we go to work. We um, live in neighborhoods. We do all of those things together as Christian people. But the bigger part of our experience with Christ is continuing to extend that same grace that we received and extend that out to people that are, have yet to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But then, you know, you and I, we start to talk about how to do that, and we start to talk about how do we influence this world for Christ, and how do we reach out to them, and how do we invite them in to a relationship with Jesus such as we have. And it's at that point when we're discussing those things, and we're trying to live in community, and we're trying to reach out to people that are not um, in a relationship with Jesus, it's then when you and I, at sometimes we tend to forget that we were saved by grace when we start thinking about how to reach other people. And when we forget that we were saved by grace, we start to put all of these different barriers in between people and Jesus. And um, a lot of those are our theological differences. A lot of those are our styles of doing church. A lot of those are the things that you and I deem to be important. And and um, as we follow Christ, and sometimes those disagreements when people on the outside are wanting to come into a relationship with Jesus and they see us in disarray, they see us in disagreement, they see us um, really at each other's throats and being angry with one another, it, it, it builds this barrier in between them and Jesus. And to be honest, when a non-Christian is being invited to be in a relationship with Jesus and they see the chaos and the disagreement and the animosity towards one another, the church, it really causes them to pause and it causes them to take a step back and to say, do I really want to be in that? Do I really, you know, what, what's really the, the point of being in that? If they can't agree on um, how we are supposed to have a relationship with Jesus, if they can't agree how I'm supposed to be a part of their community, then how am I really going to step into this? And it creates this mass confusion and it creates barriers. And so This morning or this evening, whenever you're listening to this or watching this video, I just want to bring to your attention today a few things out of Acts chapter 15, and I want to talk to you primarily about this idea that forgetting that we are saved by grace creates unnecessary barriers. 
if we um, do not remember that we are saved by grace, then these barriers become massive obstacles. And if we would remember then that we are saved by grace, I believe then that that equips us and helps us to love rightly. So forgetting grace builds barriers. Remembering grace helps us love rightly. Let's turn now in our Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Those of you that are familiar with your Bible in this section of the book of Acts will know this passage as the Jerusalem Council. They made some big decisions here in how do we really get along with this Jewishness of the church and the Gentileness of the church. And we're going to talk more about that. But that was, that was their tension. It was this idea that what, do we, what did the Jews expect out of the Gentiles as they were coming to faith? In other words, what did the established church require of those coming into faith? What did Christians believe was necessary to become part of the church and to become in relationship with Jesus Christ? And so, you know, as we typically do, we like to uh, take things from our past. We like to take things that were significant to us. We like to take things that we find valuable, and we like to kind of put those on other people. And we want to sometimes, as Christians, force them to find those same things valuable. And the first thing that we notice in the first three verses of the text is that we forget grace when we insist on upholding our own customs. Notice what Luke writes in verses 1 through 3. He says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So when they sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So when you notice this text, you notice the very beginning, Paul or Luke, when he was writing, he said that what the established Jewish Christians were teaching was saying, unless the Gentiles are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, then they cannot be Christians. They were doing this idea of grace and. So you had to qualify. You had to become Jewish. You had to participate in following the law of Moses in order to be a a Christian. And so their understanding of that really put this barrier up. And so the question is, what do we do? The question is, what do we expect the Gentiles to do as they were coming into this church. Remember, the early church up until this point was in in this transition. It was strongly Jewish, but because of the persecution in Jerusalem, Jewish Christians were fleeing and they were residing in Gentile lands and they were starting synagogues in the Gentile lands. And when Gentiles became followers of Jesus, they would participate in the synagogue. But now it was like, wait a minute, this is a Jewish synagogue that believes in Jesus. And they were following the law of Moses, attempting to at least. They were participating in circumcision. So it's like you have to do grace and. You have to be circumcised. You have to become like us and emphasize what we emphasize in order to have a relationship with Jesus. And this was creating all sorts of barriers and all sorts of division within the church. So how did they handle this? Well, 
Paul and Barnabas and some others went up to Jerusalem to visit the elders of the church, primarily James at this point, who was leading the way, most believe, and to find out what exactly are we supposed to do about this problem. Is it grace alone, or is it grace and circumcision? Which is it? So, as we move, in, move along in the text into verse 12, you'll, uh, verse 4 through 12, you'll notice that God's work of salvation reminds us that we are saved by grace. And so they did something very, very important here. They kind of took a step back from their own desires, their own understandings, their own beliefs. And remember, these people loved God and they loved their scriptures and they truly believed that it was best for the Gentiles. They weren't being selfish in this. They weren't being controlling. They were, they were honestly mistaken. They were honestly wrong, well-motivated, loving people that were really honestly wrong. <laughs> and so, they went back and they took this step and they all together in Jerusalem, they said, let's see what God is doing. How is God behaving? What is God requiring of them? Isn't that amazing that when people get together and they have these disagreements, isn't it amazing that we can actually view the work of God? We could see and, and ask God, well, God, what are you doing? We can observe what God is doing, and we can start to allow the work of God and the activity of God to change our perceptions of our own beliefs. Very powerful concept that I hope we all apply to our lives. So notice verse 4 says this. We'll just read verse 4 through 6 for the time being. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. So remember, all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. But the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So, what did they do? Who did they hear from? First, they heard from Peter. In verses 7 through 11, they heard Peter's testimony that he observed and was reminding them that they had observed that when Gentiles believed in Jesus, God filled them with his Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues and they to do the same things that the, that the Jewish believers were doing. So God seemingly welcomed him into his family without circumcision, without circumcision. And Peter testifies to this. He says, wait a minute. If God accepts them and God has filled them with his spirit and they're not circumcised, who are we to add to this idea that you need to be circumcised in order for God to accept you if God is already accepting him? You see how Peter just did a wonderful thing that each and every one of us can do when we have our own belief our own thought processes and we were well motivated and we are genuinely in love with people and we are attempting to follow the scriptures. We are doing everything that we should do, but yet we are mistaken. We need to take a fresh look at what God seems to be doing. And in this case, God was pouring out his circumcision, pouring out his Holy Spirit on those that had yet or not even been circumcised. And so Peter says, why are we putting this barrier in their way? They move on and they hear from the testimony of Paul and Barnabas, and that is in verse 12. It says, and all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. In other words, again, God not only poured out his spirit as testified by Peter, but now in Barnabas and Paul, they're testifying that God was doing miracles among the Gentiles, and guess what? 
Yep, you guessed it, no circumcision. So here in this position, it was grace alone. It was grace alone. By God's grace, he was pouring out his Holy Spirit into the Gentiles. By God's grace, he was doing miracles and signs and wonders among the Gentiles without requiring them to adopt the Jewish custom of circumcision. It was not grace and, it was grace alone. And so we'd come to notice in verses 13 through 17 as they were witnessing this and hearing these testimonies of all that God was doing, that the barriers were removed when they rightly saw how God was fulfilling his promises of the scriptures. So they had to come back and look and they had to say, what did God promise? Okay, what did God promise? And what is he doing? So they were already looked at what he was doing. Now they're going to go back and they're going to look at the scriptures and they're going to see from the mouth of James, they're going to see that what they're observing God doing is actually what God has promised. Notice verses 13 through 17. It says, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, means Simon, Peter, was re- has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people of his name. That's how James is viewing this. He's viewing this activity of God in the Gentile world as God taking people from the Gentile world and um, making them a people of his own name. Notice verse 15, James continues, And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it, and the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So he quotes the prophet Amos. That's where James goes. What a magnificent example of leadership and of Christian community. As they got together, they actually assembled together to discuss these very important matters. They heard testimony about what God is doing. They went back and looked at the scriptures, and lo and behold, they found the prophet Amos prophesying and promising that God would do what he was actually doing in their presence. And through them, God was fulfilling his promises. And it was through grace. It was not grace and. It was not grace and circumcision. It was purely God's grace. And so what did they decide? If the evidence pointed that God was extending grace to the Gentiles, if God had promised through the prophet Amos to extend grace to the Gentiles, they had a decision to make. Were they going to hold on to their own previously conceived beliefs Were they going to hold on to their customs and their traditions? Or were they going to surrender them to the activity of God according to the promises of God? That was a huge question. Let's see how it turns out. We come to understand as we move along in the text into verse 19, we come to understand that barriers are removed when those turning to God are unnecessarily, are not unnecessarily troubled. Barriers are removed when those turning to God are not unnecessarily burdened. 
Verse 19 reads this way. Therefore, Peter speaking, or excuse me, James speaking, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Verse 21, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now, this gets pretty interesting in this section of Scripture, and you have to really pick up on what James is doing. James is a very wise leader. He's taking the scriptures from Amos. He's taking the activity of God in the Gentile world. He's understanding that the scriptures teach about what he's experiencing in his own day. And then he takes a historic perspective and a practical perspective on the current activity. Because of verse 21. Verse 21 is key to this whole thing. Verse 21, I'll remind you, says, For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. He is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. In other words, God has already placed the teachings of Moses in all of these Gentile worlds. And now synagogues in all of these Gentile places where the Jews have been scattered, the word of Moses is being taught in every one of those. It's there. It's being taught. Okay, so the promises of God through Moses are already being taught. So there's a lot of Jewish influence and a lot of Jewish people living in Gentile lands. But the Gentiles are coming to faith. How are they going to get along? How are they going to experience community? And he gets very practical here. The theology part is the grace alone. That's the theology part. The practical part of this is found in verses in verse 20 when he says, but we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. See, because this gets really confusing when you think, that when you think of this whole section is saying you don't have to follow the law of Moses, you don't have to become circumcised in order to become a Christian. But then he reverts and he seems to change course. He seems to contradict himself by saying, but don't eat food that has been sacrificed to idols and only eat kosher food and stay away from sexual immorality. He seems in verse 20 to be putting a grace and, a grace and don't eat this food a grace and don't commit sexual immorality. Now what he's talking about here is this mix of Gentile and Jewish trying to coexist. And he's saying, now that the theology is straight, all of us are being saved by grace. Not grace and, grace alone. But how are we gonna be a community? How are we gonna move forward now that we are saved by grace? And he says, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna exist as a community, these Gentile people living in, I mean, excuse me, these J- Jewish people living in a Gentile world, if you're gonna have the fellowship of the table, remember, in the Jewish custom, to eat a meal with somebody was very, very, very important. Very, Jesus got in trouble for eating with Gentiles and sinners all the time, but to share a meal with somebody was to share their life with someone. So how is a Jew supposed to sit with a Gentile and have this fellowship of the table. Well, the Gentiles are going to have to make some concessions here. 
That's what Paul is asking them to do. He's asking them to say, or excuse me, James is asking them to do. James is saying, hey, look, at, you're saved by grace alone. That's the theology part. But the practical part here is we need the fellowship of the table. We need to be together. We need to form these communities together. And we need you to make a concession to help out the Jewish people living in the Gentile world. And so, but then there's this piece that seems to be stuck right in the middle of these dietary things, right in the middle of this um, idea about food and what not to eat. He mentions sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality in the Gentile world was crazy, was crazy. There were temples we already have seen to various gods that they believed in. And the activity that took place in these temples today is crazy. It's, it's, it was just this debased sexual activity going on in worship to these foreign gods. And James says that, that can't continue. You're saved by grace alone, but don't think that you can then continue in these kind of ways. Don't think that as, if you're going to progress in your Christian faith, it, after you become saved and you receive the grace of God, you become a child of God, there's no longer any room for this sexual immorality. And that has to stop if we're going to move forward. And so James tells them these things. It's no, you don't need to be circumcised. No, you don't need to become Jewish. But if you're going to get along and you're going to have this expression of Christianity with both Jew and Gentile, there's going to have to be some concessions and we're going to have to end the sexual immorality. That's called moving forward as a Christian. That's called living in community. That's called growing in Christ. He leads them in these ways. And so you'll read, if you finish that section all the way through verse 35, you'll notice that they sent the letter with Paul and Barnabas to go back to the people and to tell them what the decision had been. And they use this phrase that's very important moving forward as leaders in the church. He says, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to place no further burden on you. Do you see the, the, the plurality of leadership there? Do you see the community nature of the church that it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit? And it started to remove barriers from people coming to Christ and it started enabling them to love rightly. Notice in conclusion then the challenge becomes for us to remember, to remember grace as we are disagreeing we have different ideas, as, as we have different customs, as we, as we have different perspectives, remember that we are saved by grace and that will help us to love rightly. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll close with this, starting in verse 11, reading through verse 13, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see, notice this verse 12, very important. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, in the future, when we're in great glory with Christ, face to face, now I know in part, then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Notice Paul says, hey, before when I was a child, I, I spoke like a child. And I'm wondering in the context of this if what Paul meant is he spoke as a child, meaning he spoke like he knew everything. Like he had all the answers. 
like he was 100% sure of everything that he believed. But then when he became a man, when he grew up, he understood that this side of glory, Christians can know, there, there are definitely some things we can know. We can know that Jesus raised from the dead. We can know that God exists. We can know those things. We can know, I fully believe this, we can know those things in the Apostles' Creed. We can know those. Those are fully established. God has revealed those to us. But then there are some other things about our Christian experience that we see very dimly, Paul says. And there are things that we know, but just we know them in part. There are some things about our theology, about Christianity, that we don't agree with, that, that, that we come together and we have all these variances within the church today. But if we keep with these things that, oh, well, we have the total answer. We, we, have, we have it all figured out. And well, the church down the street, well, they don't. And they need to become like us. And if you're really going to be a Christian, you need to do it our way. That's childish behavior. Now, I'm not saying we go the extreme and say that we can't know anything. That's, that's the secular community in which we, we, which we reside. But we can definitely know some things. We can definitely know the things that are in the Apostles' Creed. We can definitely know the things that God plainly reveals to us. But by Paul's own admission here, there are things that you and I don't know fully. There are things that you and I don't fully understand or grasp. And to say that we do is acting very immaturely and it is not loving well and is not remembering that we were saved by grace. Because those of us in the church, when we start thinking that we've got it all figured out, we love to say, you are saved by grace and agreeing with me. You are saved by grace and doing it my way. You are saved by grace and doing it our way. And that creates barriers to people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We must proclaim the things that we know for sure. We must proclaim the things that God has revealed to us very plainly in his word and throughout history and in creation, according to Romans 1. And we proclaim those things, and we invite people to receive the grace of God. And as they receive the grace of God, we come into a community, and we make concessions for one another, and we try to figure these things out because we know and see as in a mirror dimly. So we are saved by grace, not our ability to figure it all out. And so let's love wisely as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and live in this world faithfully united as God's children. God bless you. We'll see you next time.